Welcome, everyone, to episode 108 of Some Like It, Scott, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we'll be doing something that we haven't done in, I think, more than a year now, and that's talk about a Disney live-action remake. This time, it's the live-action remake of the 1998 Disney classic, Mulan. But before we get to that, with me, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm good, Scott. You know, normally if you had said we'd gone a year without reviewing a Disney live-action remake, I would have said, oh, I bet that was a pretty good year. Um, but not 2020. Um, it, it has had plenty of other horrors for us to to behold. Um, and, you know, it seems like it just keeps doubling down now that all the sports are back. When I, you know, today I was like, wow, it actually feels like the world is returning to normal a little bit. I have, you know, soccer, football, baseball, I'm watching all at the same time. And the world has returned to normal because my teams pretty much uniformly suck. So except uh, for Everton did get a win, but uh, the Panthers suck and the Indians have lost six games in a row. So um, for better or for worse, the Indian or the, uh, the the world has returned to normal in some regards, at least, uh, though I guess it'll probably be a little bit longer before it's actually normal. Yeah, luckily, my teams were uh, mostly spared. I mean, obviously, the Panthers losing. I, that doesn't even register for me anymore. Yeah, <laughs> they haven't been good in years now. Um, but City doesn't doesn't actually play a, a soccer game until like two weekends from now because they have a longer break thanks to the Champions League, which they completely flopped in. I don't even know. They don't deserve a break after the way they played in the Champions League against Leon, but nevertheless, there you go. Yeah. So I've dodged a bullet for now because I don't really count soccer or so, don't really count football. But I gotta say, uh, good job on Tom Brady picking a good a good winner of a team to get absolutely dunked on by the Saints this week. So. Well, yeah, I mean to be fair, not that I, I don't understand why I would want to be fair to Tom Brady, but to be fair <laughs> to Tom Brady, uh, the Saints are a very good team, uh, and that is actually probably why I would. Uh, why I would want to be fair to Tom Brady because if there's any team that I hate more than the team that Tom Brady is playing for, it's the Saints. Saints. Um, And so uh, I I don't think that today's game was indicative of how the season will go for him uh, is is what I should say. And I don't think necessarily that today's game is indicative of how the Patriots are going to do with Cam Newton because obviously they did win, but uh, they were playing the Dolphins. So Yeah, and he also still can't hit the side of a barn with any of his passes, so. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't great, but they, they knew how to use him today, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, they, he ran for a couple touchdowns, which makes did, him look like yeah. a good fantasy player, nevertheless. Yeah. All right, Scott. Well, we'll move on past sports because uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about plenty of that in the weeks to come. And, uh, you know, one of these days, maybe five, ten years from now, we might stop reviewing Disney live action remakes. But for now, as I mentioned earlier, we get to take a look at Mulan. Unlike last year's The Lion King remake, 2020's Mulan, directed by Nikki Caro, is anything but a shot-for-shot remake with countless changes to both to all the things, including genre, characters, and its dedication to being authentically Chinese, whatever that might mean to you. There's no Mushu, there's no songs, there's a witch instead of a falcon, and a mystical power called Chi that explains Mulan's exceptional combat skills. Mulan is an adventurous, active girl who does not meet the expectations of her family or Chinese society to be prim and proper and a prime candidate to marry well. However, when the Roran warriors in the north invade Imperial China to seek revenge for a previous war, the Imperial Chinese king begins enlisting a male from each Chinese family. Mulan's family has no sons, so her father must enlist. But on the eve of of his departure, she steals his armor, sword, and horse and sets out for military training camp. From there, Mulan's journey is to ready herself for war, all the while hiding her identity. Scott, did this remake and refresh of the classic story work for you, potentially like some of the updates made to Aladdin last year? Or was this unfortunately more of the ilk of Dumbo and its inability to successfully modernize its source material? Yeah, I mean, we often talk about sort of the categories of these remakes. There's, you know, the the ones that... um, 
are shot-by-shot remakes like The Lion King or Beauty and the Beast. There's um, the ones that are still pretty faithful to the original while making uh, a little bit of a spin uh, on them, you know, letting the director assert themselves a little bit. I think that would be like an Aladdin, for example, or what I, I've never seen the jungle book from what I understand the jungle book, it might fit in that category as well. And then there are the, the remakes, which just go for something completely different. And like on paper, I think that's the type of remake, which interests me the most, right? Something that is going to sort of completely, if, I mean, mostly if not completely shed ties with the original animated film. Um, and yet the two movies that we've kind of gotten in that um, category so far, Dumbo and now Mulan, um, have not been very good, Scott. Um, I, I didn't really enjoy this one very much at all. Um, I, you know, have been on record as saying that Mulan is one of my favorite Disney animated movies. Um, and so I was skeptical of a, of a live action remake for that reason alone, in the same way that a lot of people were about The Lion King. I mean, Lion King is, is a huge favorite for a lot of people. I really like it. Um, but I, I mean, I think you can put Mulan in that spot, uh, you know, for me, uh, where The Lion King is for a lot of other people. Um, and after seeing the movie, I mean, look, there's some cool action. The visuals are nice. This musical score is nice. Um, it has a good message. Um, but as with most of these remakes, I'm kind of left asking why, and I'm not sure there's a good answer for that. Well, other than to make money, which I was about to tell you, I said, I can tell you, I can tell you a couple billion yeah. reasons why, uh, which they aren't even going to do. It seems like with this Disney plus thing, I'm sure that, um, you know, they're going to lose some money because yeah. people just aren't going to want to pay the $30 and either will not watch the movie or will pirate it. Like, people were putting out on Twitter how like literally within a few hours of it dropping on Disney plus there were about 20, like 1080p high quality torrents that were like on the, on the internet that you could download. So Disney really kind of opened themselves up to that. I mean, I, I know they were trying something out here. I know they were trying a, a new strategy out, I guess, just to see how these big blockbuster releases could do on VOD while this COVID pandemic is going on. But I don't think that they're going to like, the numbers that they, they see in the end, um, at least from what early signs are showing. Um, and, you know, frankly, I don't think the movie deserves to make all that money. But going back to my question um, of why, like, yes, of course, it's because of the money. I, but creatively, there's really no reason why this movie should exist. It doesn't add anything, just despite all of the new elements, right? Despite the stuff you're talking about, the witches, the chi, the, you know, this is a legitimate war film. This It's PG-13 rated. It's, you know, fair, it's pretty violent for a Disney film. Um, there are like, you know, big scale, there's a big scale battle scene. Like it's, it is a legitimate war film. Um, but it just doesn't add anything of substance to the, the Mulan, um, story and and really again they're kind of asking the question that we always ask there's are basically zero times out of ten if i want to watch mulan am i going to watch this version instead of the animated version i think that um the things that they took out of the story which obviously was a big um big talking point going into the movie like the songs like mushu i think it was a mistake after seeing the movie i, I really do like i um I mean, I don't think that the remake should have been done at all, but if you were going to do it, I think those are kind of elements that you needed to really keep in the movie to keep the spirit of fun about it, right? Like, I just don't think there's a lot of fun in watching this movie, except for, you know, the occasional cool action stunt, you know, she's kicking spears and stuff like that, which is pretty, her, I mean... Her chi is wild, Scott. It's visually inventive, but it's just kind of like, why? Like, why are we making Mulan a superhero? Um, I, like, I don't know the actual Chinese legend of Mulan, but I don't think that was part of it, but uh, I, I honestly don't know. Maybe it was, but um, regardless, um, I just think this is an overly self-serious movie in the end, and um, I'm not really sure who it's made for, right? Like, maybe people of our demographic, like, right, who grew up in, in watch the you love the animated movie but now you know are a little more mature whatever and want a more mature take on it but like in terms of like kids and and um you know adolescents and stuff who have grown up loving milan i don't think they're going to get much out of this movie right because it's it's a again it's a war film it's very it's it's self-serious it's it drags in in a couple of places it's just a little bit of a slog at times and I just don't think there's much spirit about it. And again, much reason 
for it to exist, especially, I'm not going to go off on my soapbox, but especially when you look at, at the, uh, some of the controversy surrounding where the movie was filmed and what province of China specifically controversy, which I think is very, very warranted and um, makes me very glad that I did not spend $30 to watch this movie. Um, just outing myself. Yeah. I mean, look, Scott, this film cost $200 million. I think they estimated that it actually made more money than Tenet did just because of its very high price point. It probably made like $35 million last weekend, which I should say last weekend. I guess two weekends ago when it originally came out by the time uh, you're hearing this and listening to this in the podcast form. I think that they're not going to make their money back. And and maybe that was inevitable. I mean, I don't think a $200 million movie can make its money back right now. Just just the nature of things. Like You're going to have to wait a year, maybe even longer to actually make those kind of figures at the box office again. But it like, I don't know, like watching this film and thinking back to about not just about, you know, which version of the film do I want to watch? But I think one of the reasons when you ask yourself if, if there's a good reason for something to be rained is like, what was wrong with the film when you look at the film in, in a modern lens? And I think with Aladdin, one of the approaches that, that Guy Ritchie took, I, I mean, look, we talked about a Guy Ritchie film earlier this year that neither of us were like, well, <laughs> really a fan of that much. And, really just kind of were scratching our heads a little bit about like the sensitivity of the film, maybe, but you look at that, what happened with Aladdin last year. And I think that what you saw is that like, all right, it's a very like almost kind of sexist film towards Jasmine, like very, very rote type of female um, kind of supporting character in that film. And do I think they got all the way there with the remake? No, but I think that they also, it made progress and, and it, and it developed that a little bit and it was fun. Like the movie was fun along yeah. the way. And honestly, Scott, like I go back and it's been a long time since I've rewatched Mulan, the animated movie. But thinking back about what I can remember of it, I'm not sure what there really is to modernize about it from my perspective. Yep. Now, I understand that there probably almost certainly is an element that uh, of like authenticity to Chinese culture that was probably missing from that film. And I think that they probably genuine. I mean, not even probably they, they genuinely did make some sort of effort to do that. I mean, the entire cast is Chinese. They filmed it on location in China, which understand is a controversy around what they're thinking about, but they tried to film it on location and be very authentically Chinese. Like, yes, I, I have no idea whether that's resonating with people who, you know, who have Chinese descent or are Chinese who are watching this film. Like, I don't know if that's resonating with them or not, but I'm sitting here watching it from my very white perspective. If anything, I feel like this film gets it wrong. This film makes it less woke almost not to, not to use that word too loosely, but like the whole idea of like the, you know, this like pseudo villain of the, like Jin Yang with the witch. I, I don't actually know how to pronounce her name. So I apologize, but I think it's like Chin Yang or something um, like that feels like super like bad stereotypes of like females being witches and things like that, which I know it's like trying to subvert a little bit in the film, but really yeah. just feels like regressive because before it was just like a Falcon, like the, the, it's his, his name wasn't Bori Khan in the original. I can't remember what his name was in the original, but um, like the villains, like like right hand thing was just like a falcon that was like a spy or whatever, right? And in this version, it's like a witch that has like I don't know exiled from society, which obviously they they play for that to be like, oh, the society did her wrong, and this is what happened. But like I don't know, that felt super aggressive to be honest. It just felt kind of weird to me because there's already some like really weird stereotypes I think around Chinese women. I mean, just go look back, look like Fantastic Beasts sequel from a couple years ago where turns out like the snake like Voldemort snake Nagini was like the, an Asian woman the entire time like before she was transformed into the snake like there's just like really weird stereotypes around like the you know orientalism and and magic that I think was like just really weird direction to go with the film and, and very unnecessary like I don't know really what this character like teaches or adds to the film from Milan but I don't want to jump too down that too far down that rabbit hole yet because I want to talk about that a little bit later on but overall Scott I think I'm in your camp I didn't super enjoy this movie I mean I was watching this with my girlfriend and she was like singing the songs on top of the, on top of the, uh, the yeah, score, which is like, they, that feels right. <laughs> yeah. And they make little odes to them, right. in the, in the lot, like there's the whole scene they have when they're eating or whatever. And they're talking yeah. about what kind of girl they want. And that's, you know, yeah. that's the girl worth fighting for. There's a yeah. little bit of a, like a, I'll make a man out of you type yeah. set up. And then, yeah, of course, reflection is the one yeah. that you hear multiple times on the score. Mm -hmm, exactly yeah so uh, uh some of that was some of the better parts of the film i guess when my girlfriend was singing, singing the songs um uh, that okay i mean a little bit hyperbolic there of course but i think overall it, it really felt weird that they tried to make a marvel movie out of mulan like it just feels like so out of touch with what it's trying to be i mean i know they're just trying to appeal to like the modern audience right like like they know what movies make a billion dollars and it's the superhero movies they make 
But I don't think when you're remaking a movie like Milan that it's about making a superhero out of her. Right. I don't think that it's like that at all. And I think Disney really missed a beat here if they think that's what people want out of Mulan, because I, I just think they're dead wrong uh, on that one. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, it, it, I think you make a very good point that there's really no reason to modernize this, because I think that the original story is still just as relevant. Right. You know, the, yeah. the story of female empowerment um, that is at the heart of Mulan is still just as important today. But I think like they tried to you know, make up for that or whatever, by just like being even like very heavy handed about the themes that they're going for here. I mean, I think like the, the behavior of the male character, a lot of the male soldiers and stuff like that is just way even more over the top than in the animated film, I feel like in terms of, you know, how dismissive and um, uh, superior and condescending they are to, to Mulan. Um, you know, to, to a point where it's like, okay, we get it. Like chill. Um, it's locker room talk, Scott. It's just locker yeah, room talk. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, like the, you know, the, the girl worth fighting for scene or whatever, where they're at the, where they're eating and she's talking about, Oh, you know, I would want a woman who's courageous and smart or whatever. I mean, yes, that's literally from the song, but like, you know, they make a point of like, she spells it all out. Then they, you know, they laugh for like 20 seconds or something uh, smart. Who would want a woman that's smart? Whereas like, you know, in the song, it's like, we're going to do our song about it. And then that's it. We're going to move on. Um, and that I think just worked better. Honestly, I, I, I think they are, way too heavy handed about what they're saying, even though it is an important message, right? Like I, you, you get it from the original animated film. So another reason why I don't, I don't think this movie should exist. Yeah. Look, and I think we've already started to talk a little about the comparisons, but that I think like that's even the most relevant thing to talk about, even before we even talk about the new cast, then maybe even the new plot lines and subplot lines. And I laid out some of those differences and we've already started to talk about them, but I mean, obviously leaving out the songs is a choice to make it more of a, serious war type film to change the genre like you were talking about leaving out you know silly and quotation mark characters like mushu i think to give it less levity and make it again more of a serious film to take itself serious and tell a very serious story uh, and look there's like there's so many differences right like even the witch um Jin yang like we've already mentioned um and i just i can't even think of too many that work well honestly scott that, that, that's the thing i'm really struggling with like they they try to change things and you know, look, the cinematography is really good. Like the production design is good in the film. Like I won't lie, like it's very, it's very well done from that perspective. But none of the material changes they're making to the film seem to make any sense to me other than to just to make it more serious, which is fine. Like war, like it is like at its core, it's a war film, but there's nothing wrong with it being a war film and being serious, but it just doesn't seem also to like, get the serious material right enough like to align with those changes in, in my mind and like I, I don't know it just everything like a lot of the new things felt rushed and you know half-baked and not really thought through and and how they fit into this overall story where the structure of the story at least is like still mostly similar uh so i, I don't know if you have any more thoughts to add on this before we do move on but i did want to talk about it explicitly yeah i mean like yeah they have made a more serious film that's clearly what clearly what they wanted to do but I think there's also just like a weird like, OK, if you're going for a serious film, why why add all of this superhero chi yeah, witch exactly. stuff into it? That obviously is not real, like it's not realistic if you're trying to make like a realistic war film. Um, and it's not even but, true to the true to the original story. Yeah. Right? But to, to your point too earlier. It just feels weird. But I mean. Yeah, well, we can get into the witch thing maybe a, a little more later. I I, ha I have slightly different opinion than you on it, but um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, well uh, don't worry. I, I have some time reserved. Yeah. yeah, I have some time reserved at the end uh, to talk specifically about that and a couple other a couple other plot points. But with that, why don't we move on to the cast? I mean, we I guess I didn't really talk about it too much, but Yifei Lu, I, I might be mispronouncing that, so I apologize. But Yifei Lu is playing uh, Wamulan in this film. Uh, but there's also plenty of other people in the cast as well. I mean, they're supporting uh, performances from people like Donnie Yen, uh, who's obviously very famous both in Chinese film, but also in American film. Jason Scott Lee plays the villain, Bori Khan, uh, who I was looking up. I think he it, Sean Yu is the name of the villain in the original film or something like that. So yeah, that is, that is the proxy for that character in this film. Uh, Jet Li plays the emperor of China, which is such a bizarre thing to see, to be honest. Um, but I guess like thematically fits kind of well. I don't know. Uh, Gong Li plays Xin Yang. And then there's a whole host of supporting performances from all these other like uh, like battalion 
squad members that Mulan fights with in some of these uh, in in a training camp and also the military scene. Scott, so uh, we'll start with the lead performance here. Yifei Lu, what do you think of her? Is she a good on screen live action version of Mulan? I don't think so. Uh, dramatic pause. Um, <laughs> not good. No, I, I don't. I honestly don't. I, I she did not cut that strong of a presence for me on screen. Um, I think her delivery of the lines is a little wooden at times. Um, I don't know. I just, I didn't feel much towards the character, um, except, you know, just in the context of the story, right? The, you know, position that she finds herself in, whatever, right? There wasn't anything about the performance that really made me connect an extra layer to, um, to this character. And, um, yeah, I'm not sure exactly how she was cast, but, um, look, it's good that they got a Chinese actress. Like, I, I know that that seems like the bare minimum, but, uh, you know, nowadays, like even doing the bare minimum is sometimes uh, an achievement for a film. Uh, so it's good that they cast her in that regard. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. Uh, she, she didn't do much for me. Um, I can't even really think of a single scene where I was struck by her performance that much. And I think that contributes to why the film isn't that successful either. Well, you know, what's crazy about this is that I'm, you know, I was looking at this before we started and I should have maybe should have brought this up earlier just to be more explicit about it. But like this film has generally been well reviewed by critics. I mean, it's like, I mean, maybe a little bit, a little bit less critically successful as a lot of like your average MCU film. I think it's like in the mid seventies and Rotten Tomato and high sixties and Metacritic. Um, so we're clearly coming out more on the negative side of that, but interestingly enough, it's been, I think it's been panned by a lot of Chinese critics saying that the characters are flat. Uh, they don't understand some of the plot details and the treatment of Chinese culture specifically around Chi is like not done very well. Yeah. Uh, and I like it. Look, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say, I bring a Chinese perspective to this conversation, but I kind of agree with him and I do agree with him with the flat characters too. Cause I don't know if Yifei Lu does much for me. I, I don't think that she does a bad job. Like I, I wouldn't say that her performance took me out of the film or was like not a believable version of Mulan, but this version isn't inspiring. Like you would think that this character would be. Cause honestly, like this is like one of the, like this is like one of the OG iconic, like female empowerment characters uh, for me at least. Right. Like for like my, in my lifetime and like my, you know, memory of film and look like she doesn't under deliver that but she certainly doesn't bring something new to the role or even i think get you to the point where you might have been in the original 1998 version with the animated um and voice and voice performance there and, and look I, I don't know i can't really put my finger on why but i think calling it flat is something that i'd kind of point to maybe and i think that's what you were saying too here scott like it's not a bad performance. I don't think she's going to be booking roles based on this one either, though. But maybe I'm wrong. Like I don't know. Hollywood's its own beast. But. I mean, it fits the tone of the movie, but the tone of the movie was, you know, kind of, again, dour, self-serious, a little dry. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, that that's fair. So, okay, the tone of the movie is dour, self-serious, dry, Scott. I, I wouldn't disagree with that, Scott. But are there any performances that kind of elevated a little bit at all for you? I mean, any at all that you'd, you'd pick out in the cast? I mean, look, this cast is, you know, it may not mean a lot to, you know, some of our listeners, but this is about as splashy of a, a cast you, as you can get from a Chinese perspective with, um, you know, all those names you mentioned, Donnie and Jet Li, Gong Li is like the most famous actress in China. You would expect like, hey, this is, you know, a big flashy cast, you know, maybe they're, they appreciate that the film is trying to be you know, more authentic to Chinese culture, maybe they're really going to go for it here. And I don't necessarily think anyone did. If I had to point to one, I do think Gong Li's performance is pretty good as the witch. You know, it's an interesting character to some extent. I think there's a little bit of sinister edge to it, of course, at the beginning. Um, and But then, you know, she, her character, there's some change in her character, which is nice because there's not much like character development. I feel like very much throughout the film. Um, we'll circle back to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but her character does have a little bit of development. Um, and I think, you know, she, she is memorable, at least like, you know, her, her character and her performance, I think does make an impact in the way that maybe some of the others don't and, and sticks, you know, at least sticks out in your memory, even after the movie's over. So I guess I have to give her some credit for that, but yeah, everyone else I feel like was just kind of there to, to, 
you know, almost like they were there just for the Chinese audience to say, hey, you know, to, to, so they could say, hey, these people are in the movie. Um, and then, you know, they could kind of wink, nod to the Chinese audience or whatever when these people showed up. Because Jet Li, he doesn't have anything to do. He has a couple scenes. Uh, same with Donnie Yen, honestly. Like, he he is like the one of the guy, one of the soldiers, like, training them. But he doesn't really have um, much to do here. Yeah. Um, Z Ma doesn't have much to do either. Yeah, Z, Z Ma is like her father. But, you know, he he's not in, in very much in, in the movie. I, I mean, they really... They even yeah. toned down that element of the film, the relationship with her father. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's a very important element of it, I think. Um, and yeah. I just, you know, you, you you don't get very much of that. I mean, they they try to. I mean, I feel like they try to flesh it out a little bit because there's a little more in the opening of the movie, like before she actually goes to to war, than in the animated movie. But um, but yeah, it didn't resonate with me. So if there's anyone for me, I guess it's Gong Li. Yeah, I think I'd probably be in the same boat and i think that like what whether you whether it's a miss or whether it's a hit like they swung for something with that character and like that is a character who had something to do in the film and i think that she's somewhat successful here like it's a I, again i think it's probably the most memorable of the performances mainly just because it's the like the character that it is. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts that aren't necessarily so positive about that character. And I think some of those developments that you're talking about are like, I don't know, so, some of the most half-baked rush developments that uh, I've seen this year. But like, at least there was something, I guess, is maybe the point you're trying to yeah. make. <laughs> because they really don't, I mean, they're not doing much. Like what, what like her, her fellow soldiers, like, get woke when they realize that Mulan is a woman like, oh, she's like so much more powerful than us. Oh my goodness. Uh, so I like, I, I don't know you call that development or not. <laughs> I guess you could. Uh, but no, I, I agree that Gong Li is probably the person who I'd point to, but it's a low bar for this film. Like I like some of the, th like some of the reviews that I remember reading for this back in March were like, the cast is amazing. And this is like such a step forward for like Chinese representation in film. I'm like, guys, you want to see China, like a step forward in Chinese representation in film. Go go watch the farewell last yeah. year. Like, also don't, starring don't watch this Yeah, also starring Zima. I mean, Zima's been doing work in Chinese American cinema for years. Um, and frankly, he was a lot better in that film than he was in this one. And that's not necessarily his fault. I just don't think many of these characters have much to do because this film is like entirely, I mean, it really is. And there's nothing wrong with this, but this film is entirely uh sitting on the shoulders of Mulan and Gong Li, I'd say. And or, so so Yifei Lu and 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 Gong Li and Gong Li does okay and maybe a little bit better than okay, maybe good. And EFA Lu does, does okay. Like that's just that's just the truth of it for me. It doesn't doesn't really resonate too much. Yeah, and the uh, whatever what is it the most two most harmful words in the English language? I guess it would be what I would say to Gong Li. Good job. <laughs> All right. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> it's for, for it's for you don't know what movie that's from. I, I don't, Scott. I'm, I'm Whiplash. Oh man, really? Yeah, I think it's been two years. Simmons line, yeah. J.K. I mean, Simmons line, yeah. Yeah, we, we can't quote the other the other lines from the film. <laughs> That's probably the only one we could quote, yeah. Yeah, that and uh, not my tempo, I guess. Yeah, not quite my tempo. All right, so moving on from that, we'll get to the, the plot elements here. And one of them I kind of briefly touched on talking about how I felt like they didn't really develop Mulan's relationship with her family too much because that's one of the plot elements that I felt like was different from what I remembered from the original. I didn't rewatch the original Scott, so feel free to correct me because I know you've watched it more recently than I have. But I didn't really feel like I got much of Mulan's relationship with her family beyond like I feel like I am a disappointment. My father maybe still loves me, but he's also very frustrated with me. Um, and you don't even get anything at the end either. Like he says, "I love you." At the end, I'm like, "Great, cool." Dad loves daughter. This is this is a great development in in cinema. Scott, am I being too harsh on it, or do you did you feel the same way? No, I you know honestly, I think maybe this is a weakness of both films. As much as I love the animated movie, I mean, it has been like probably a year since I last watched it. So I mean, maybe I'm forgetting some stuff. But yeah, like I was saying, the movie I think the animated version moves even quicker, like into the the war from the beginning. I, I think there's really not a whole lot of time spent on. Uh, the family dynamic there. Um, but yeah, it's it's not a particularly strong element to me in this movie either. I mean, there's a little bit more of like her dad being, her dad is, seems older in this movie than in the animated movie. Um, so there's a little bit more of like, I'm gonna 
sacrifice myself, not just because I, you know, want to go to war or whatever, but because my father is not really in shape or, or whatever, is not um, fit enough to, to go to war. Um, and like, yeah, I mean, when you see the the training camps and everything, there's nobody, none of the soldiers, none of the male soldiers there are like around the age of, of Sima. So, um, which, you know, it, it, I guess it's because, you know, he didn't have a son or whatever. That's why he has to go to war. But, uh, but anyway, still, uh, but I, yeah, it, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't resonate with me. Um, and I think it needs to, for you to really appreciate, um, that the family element of it otherwise i think you're just kind of left with the whole you know gender dynamic which is interesting right you know the whole um females being um obviously looked at as having a single role in this as uh, you know in this chinese society which is um to be wives i mean what what is it they literally say at one point like the, a wife a woman should be silent or something like that like it you know again they just spell it out spell it out there um and then, you know, her asserting herself in the ranks of these male soldiers, you know, that that message still works or whatever. But if they were trying to do anything with the family message, it didn't really work for me. Yeah, look, like even early on with the whole like when she visits the matchmaker and is pouring the tea and is like doing this like really nice thing for her sister, right? Like covering up the spider and just like this is so weird. It doesn't even feel realistic. Like it's so over the top and like how they react to it. Um, like I just didn't get it. And I, I know this is like set in like the five hundreds or whatever, right? Like this yeah. is like 1500 years ago plus in terms of like where it's supposed to be set um, in the course of history. But man, it just felt like for a movie that was trying to be impact, like it, it's like females mistreating each other too, which like that's not necessarily inauthentic or inaccurate to society, but it just felt like it was not quite striking the right chord there, both in terms of like, like societally, which is what I'm talking about, but also the fa the family note as well. When you have these like parents who seem massively disappointed in her, like her father is like really torn because he wants Mulan to be who she is. At some like at least some part of him wants that, but also he also recognizes that she's not who society wants her to be. And so he's frustrated for that as well, which I think is a difficult place to be, of course, because you're not mad necessarily at Mulan, but you're frustrated with the situation that you're in. And and I, I just don't think you get any of the nuance, right? Like you don't get any of that nuance in the character and, and the relationship. Like I, I, I can, I can work my mind into that place to think like, okay, this is my, this must be the position that he's in. But I don't think you get any of that in, in the film and, and the narrative overall. So it, it's a little disappointing to me because I think there's a real opportunity and I don't even think it would require that much more time in the film, right, to build that out a little bit, um, like five minutes. And you shouldn't like take out some of those military training scenes. I mean, Jesus Christ, there's so many of them. Um, so, yeah, that's I mean, that's one of the, the points where I thought that it even it, OK, like for, like forget the comparison to the original version that I think like it would have been really easy to go a little bit deeper there. Yeah. Um, and look, they made the movie, what, 25 minutes longer or something than the original. But yeah, not, for for not. Yeah, you know, so we can get some more spears being kicked. Yeah, look, I mean, Lion King was like, I don't know, it was a shot for shot remake, it was about half an hour longer than yeah, the Yeah, I know. I still understand that one out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm still, still using my abacus and calculator to try to figure out how that happened. Um, yeah, so look, that, I think that's that. And I, I think another point here, just to reach us to the final point that I probably want to get to, uh, it is Shin Yang. So this, this witch that in the original version was really just a falcon, like just a bird that the you know the villain of the movie Sean Yu in the original version Bori Khan here in the 2020 version was using and she has like the film makes it clear that she is very similar to Mulan at least Mulan is very similar to her when she was younger and that they were both very powerful in their chi which is like this ancient chinese martial arts sort of like i don't know like metaphysical like spiritual uh, type of thing here that if you're powerful with your chi, you're a very powerful individual, right? And she was really powerful and she was exiled for society for it because it wasn't what a woman was supposed to be. So touching back on something we were just talking about there. And this is where her life has led her. It has led her to being a, an accessory to the invasion from the north of Bori Khan and the Rorans. And that is her attempt at revenge uh, for the mistreatment that, you know, the Imperial Chinese society, uh, you know, levied at her. 
And this, and you know, you say what you will and say what I say, sorry, say what I will about the re- regressiveness of the kind of stereotype or, or stereotypical feeling of this, this type of portrayal of, you know, an Oriental witch uh, who's like an outsider to society. I think that they try to use this role as a sort of reflection, if I may use a little bit of a pun, for Mulan to look at herself in one potential outcome of the position she's in in society, but also for Gong Li to use as a reflection for the type of person she could have been and maybe still could be if she makes uh, just a slightly different set of choices, Scott. So I think I know where you might be going around some of the, what you were alluding to earlier about some of maybe a, a more positive spin you might have or positive take on this character um, in spite of some of the things that I was saying earlier about how I was a little bit uneasy with the portrayal of the character overall. But why don't you share some of your more of your thoughts and, and I can give some more of mine as well. I mean, yeah, like I don't have a ton to say, but I think they're, I think their heart is in the right place with this particular aspect. I think that I like the idea that, hey, we're going to show you what this sort of demonization of women, what it, uh, another road that it can lead down. Like it's not you're not necessarily just going to end up with somebody like Mulan, who is super resilient and is like, no, I'm going to resist the system, yeah. whatever. No, you could actually have someone who is like, I'm going to take all of this anger and rage I have from being slighted by society and. I'm going to try to kill people with it. I'm gonna, like just straight up. I'm going to become a villain and, and use my chi and everything. And the, the very, the very powers that I was sort of ostracized for having, and I'm going to use it to destroy you. Um, but then I like, and, and then I like, you know, the way that to, to some extent, I like the way that it comes together in the end. I do feel like it happens pretty quickly and is a little bit perfunctory, but. Um, hey, look, she's, she's sacrificed. I mean, full spoilers. Like she sacrifices herself for Mulan. Right. Yeah. Which I mean, felt I, out of the blue for me. I was like, geez, really? That's the problem. I, it feels out of the blue, even though I like it because, you know, I think there's this moment of like connection between the two, these two powerful, powerful women, which I but think very is, briefly. Yes. It, it, yes. And, that, and that's yeah. what I'm saying is, is the issue is that it happens very quickly. It's very perfunctory, but at least there's a good idea there. And at least they have the right message in mind i think um you know because you bring up the fact that yes yeah, some of the other women like the matchmaker and her mother and stuff are like being a little um dismissive of her towards the beginning and of her wishes and everything so it's nice to see like these two women who are ostensibly on different sides come together when they understand like how important it is that a powerful woman be allowed to you know succeed and exist regardless of what side they are on of this whole thing. Um, yeah. I wish they had, I wish they had leaned into that more over the course of the movie. Yeah. And you say something like lean into it more, Scott. And, and I agree because I think that the degree to which they lean into it here doesn't make any sense. Like, honestly, I do not know why Gong Li decides to join Mulan in this thing. Like, think about it. Like yeah. what her understanding, like, yes, there was these like little threads sprinkled throughout the film. Like she's like called a servant of like Rory Khan or like her, like Bori Khan or like a slave. Or I forget the exact wording that's used there. So she's like being belittled and demeaned this entire time. But like she has this promise of like someone who's going to be accepted in the society that Bori Khan leads forward. Right. Like maybe a halfway existence of what she wants. Like maybe just a, a step function towards it rather than all the way there and like full acceptance into society. But there is none of that in what like Mulan is fighting for. Like there is no indication that this like emperor who like of the society who exiled her would view Mulan any differently at all. Like if if this is successful. So for the life of me, I cannot understand like how this development occurs. Like maybe she feels some sort of empathy for this for this, you know, girl who she sees a lot of herself in. But like if her goal is to create a society where like people like her would be more accepted, I do not understand why she chooses to like fight this fight with with Mulan, even though, of course, it ends up working out in their favor because the emperor invites her to be a part of like the Imperial Guard and things like that. And things work out in the end, but there's just no indication that's going to happen like in the film. Like, yes, like Donnie Yen or whoever is like, finally, believe you will march to the Capitol. But like, again, like none of that is indicated that the chance that the emperor would do any of that. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I really just don't, I really just don't get it at all because the emperor is not even really a character at all. It's just Jet Li showing up to say, Hey, look, it's me. It's Jet Li. <laughs> it is I, it's Jet Li. Yeah, um, exactly. yeah, no, it, 
<laughs> exactly. Uh, look, okay, we've said a lot of bad things about this film, Scott. I'm gonna be really frank. Like, I think if you're just listening to the to the review up to this point, you probably think we're gonna come at like a two. I don't think we're gonna go that low, Scott. So let's talk about some of the things that we liked about this film. Do you have anything? <laughs> say something nice about Mulan. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, say I think something action, nice about Mulan. I think. Well, look, I, I kind of said something nice in the last last segment, but um, I think. Cool. I think you kind of said something cool. nice is cool um at yeah. times i you know I, I think it's it's inventive at least right like i feel like you know we've talked about all these yeah. netflix action movies this year which for me uh just you know were very had very like rote mechanical action scenes not a whole lot of creativity to them and you can't say that about the action scenes here what you know did we need a spear kicking mulan who you know has all these superpowers no we didn't but does it still look cool yeah it does um and yeah. the battle scenes are well staged and stuff like that like it was it was interesting and cool to see a freaking full-scale like braveheart level battle scene in a remake of a disney princess movie right like that that's not something you see every day um and i'll go ahead and spoil my favorite scene or moment i guess but i really like the moment when um, she decides to reveal that she is a, a female and she like unties her hair, lets her hair down, like, and then comes yeah. riding into battle on her horse. And that's when reflection kicks in. Um, and I think that's a really, you know, one of the, one of the only moments that inspired any sort of emotion in me whatsoever. So I, I thought that was a good moment. Uh, you know, it, it, unfortunately there are few and far between. Yeah, look, they didn't they didn't have Mulan cut her hair in this film. So you're yeah. able to have that that sort of moment with the long flowing uh, hair and running into battle, even though she was riding through an avalanche and trying to dig up what it, who's uh, Yosan An's character, Chen or, or whatever. And, and like this middle of the avalanche, where I'm like, dude, you can't see shit in this avalanche. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> There's no way you're finding this guy in this avalanche, but somehow pulls him out of the pulls him out of the snow. It was the chi. It, it, dude, it was the chi. The chi is off the chain. May the cheat be with you. Yeah, yeah the, the, I'm sure Donnie Yen's character in this film would say that. I know what the quote is, but I can't yeah. make it without laughing. So people will know where I'm going with that from Rogue One. Uh, <laughs> I have one with the chi. The chi is with me, one with me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm just picturing Donnie Yen saying that in like yeah. battle or something in this film. Um, yeah. No, so overall, look like. <laughs> I think that's very fair. I think that there are some moments they try to use for good effect. And, you know, I still think that some of them are still a little silly. Uh, but overall, look, I think there's some great, I said it briefly earlier on, but they're really, I mean, there's some gorgeous cinematography and production design is really strong in this film. And yes, there's no Mushu, which I think is a disappointment, but that Phoenix looks really good. Scott, Scott that Phoenix uh, looks very good. So there's just some $200 million worth of CG for you right there. Yeah, no, it, 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 we know where the money went. Yeah, that's for yeah. sure. For sure. All right, Scott, let's let's wrap things up here. You've already said your favorite senior moment. So any other thoughts you'd like to add to it? Uh, no, not really. I, I think it's, you know, a good moment. They use the music well. Um, that's one of the uh, only times when I thought they, you know, used the sort of motifs and callbacks to the earlier music. Well, I would have just preferred to hear the songs, to be honest with you, because they're all really good songs. Well, Scott, uh, I'm sure someone out there has probably made a version or like some sort of like um, like list where like when you should like play certain songs on the yeah. OG Mulan album and you can just like over no, overdub it or something. You know, like I I'm surprised Disney missed the opportunity to release like a, a new Mulan soundtrack album with like panic at the disco covers reflection you know that that is exactly the kind of stuff that they would do but yeah i mean i'm sure brandon yuri is like knocking on disney's door to do that so well they he did which one did he do uh, maybe frozen two or something i think he did a cover of one of those songs recently he did do a cover he's like he's like technically supposed to be like the actual into the unknown uh, performer uh, right, on the, right. on the okay. album but then of course adina menzel Sang yeah. it, uh, sings a version of it in in the music, but if you look into this, if you listen to the soundtrack, he's the he's the so I think he's the singer in like the version that's on the soundtrack or album. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I uh, my favorite singer moment is similar to yours. It's actually right before yours. It's the it's that sort of scene where they are like cornered on the battlefield. So not Mulan because she's up above. She's had this conversation or whatever with with Xin Yang Gan Li's character, the witch, and she's come back 
and they're in these like tortoise shell formation because they're like pounding them with these like fiery like burning rocks and she like makes this avalanche happen uh by being clever by like actually doing something that doesn't require superhero powers to be honest and i think those down-to-earth moments of the film hearkening back to the original maybe obviously not this particular scene but hearkening back to the original of being down to earth and not using chi like just being clever um and just being smart about it i i really appreciated that because i think so much of the original film is just about how women are just as smart and just as strong uh as their male counterparts and, and can be just as uh or, or contribute the same ways to society that men can and i think this movie just distorts that so much with like making her out to be a superhero this very like abnormal woman right She's not your your average woman in this film. And I think in the original she is. And so I found this moment in the film to be a moment that really feels like, you know what, like any person could do this. Right. And for most of the film, not every person could be Mulan. Um, so I, I found that to be a striking moment to go back to the recurring theme on this podcast of anyone can wear the mask. And I think when you tell stories about that, I think those can be those are particularly inspiring and, and powerful. Yeah, I agree. Suck at Disney. <laughs> All right, Scott, let's put a score on it. Out of 10, what are you giving to Mulan? 4.5. Ooh, you ended up higher than me. How is this possible? Uh, 4.0. I mean, it should, be, it should be a zero when you consider all of the, the details. So I would just say just educate yourself about before you, like if you're trying to decide whether to pay $30 to oh watch this movie. If our review hasn't, you know, you know sworn you off of it, um, just from our review alone, go read about some of the details about the province of China where they filmed this thing. And that should make you never want to pay the $30 for this. Yeah. Well, that aside, I think that they've already come out and said that this film is going to be on regular Disney plus as of like December 4th. You do not need to see this film in the next two and a half months. Yeah. You can wait until it's already included in Disney plus. If you really still feel like you want to see it, I, I don't know if I can recommend you, but you anyone pay thirty dollars for this for this movie. Um, if you have Disney Plus, just watch the original. So there you go. That should do it for our discussion of Mulan. Let's take a short break, and when we return, we'll be talking about some recent news. I should say I shouldn't say casting news, Scott, because this is like recasting news, right? Because I think I think we have a certain actor replacing another actor in a film that we want to talk about. And we'll also be talking about Warner Brothers uh, release calendar updates after the success failure somewhere in between of Tenet. We'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. As promised before the break, we have a couple newsy-related items to cover before we wrap things up today. So, Scott, I'll turn it over to you first because you have some news regarding Harry Styles being cast in a film or, as I said, recast in a film to replace someone. Why don't you tell us a little about that? Yeah, it's not a One Direction concert film either, uh, much to disappoint all of the directioners out there who listen to our podcast. But um, no, so we have talked uh, quite a bit about this film, Don't Worry Darling, or Don't You Worry Darling. I, I think it's Don't Worry Darling. Yeah, I think it yeah. is too. Um, but uh, this is going to be one of Olivia Wilde's upcoming films. Obviously, she has a couple that are in the tank. Um because there's the gymnastics one, right? That she's also making, um, which and I think some is, other film that's yeah. also in the works. Yeah, but this one we've been we've been excited by um, for. It's a for thriller. Some, yes, it, it is a thriller, um, and it has had a splashy cast um, prior to this announcement that we got this week. I mean, Florence Pugh, Dakota Johnson, Chris Pine, uh, and Olivia Wilde herself, I believe. Um, we're all uh, supposed to be part of the cast of this movie. Um, and also the other name who was supposed to be playing sort of the male lead opposite of, uh, of Florence Pugh in this movie was going to be Shia LaBeouf. Um, but now um, Shia LaBeouf has dropped out from the film. Maybe there were some age concerns there. I think we, we were talking about that. I don't know if that was like for sure confirmed, but um, oh, I was making a joke. If you were going out of what I said, I was joking. Yeah, about no, that. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I doubt that that was it, but you know, possible because they were supposed to um, be in a relationship. And obviously they did cast someone quite a bit younger than Shia LaBeouf in Harry Styles. Um, this will be sort of Harry Styles's first 
um, starring role um, in a in a film. Obviously, Dunkirk is sort of the one other major film that he's appeared in, but he had sort of a, a fairly brief supporting role in that film, as did pretty much everyone in Dunkirk. But um, but uh, this will this is an interesting bit of casting, um, you know, to such a, a high profile project. Obviously, Harry Styles is a known commodity, but to replace someone like Shia LaBeouf with um, you know, a musician who doesn't have much acting experience is an interesting step for Olivia Wilde to take. But I definitely think that the internet is going to uh, is going to love this choice and is already loving this choice. Um, you know, pitting basically two of the the internet's like favorite people to stand with. Uh, with I don't I know exactly what uh, what Harry Styles' fans are specifically called, but with the pew hive yeah the pew hive and the stylists are are linking up right now and they're they're gonna there's gonna be some tremendous sort of meme content or whatever probably that comes out of this i'm at any time there's gonna there's a set photo that shows the two of them like people are just gonna lose their minds on twitter but um yeah. just wait till look, bong joon ho comes in to replace uh <laughs> olivia wilde as director and then yeah. the bong hive too Look, the rest of this, uh, the rest of this cast is very exciting. I trust Olivia Wilde after Booksmart. She's got the same writers as Booksmart, um, and so you know, I I am interested to see where this goes. I'm interested to see what Harry Styles can do in a starring role. Obviously, he would not be the first musician who turns out to be a pretty good actor. Certainly not. And I will say that I don't know if Scott was basing his age comment off something that I said, because I just made a joke that Olivia Wilde only works with actors under the age of 25. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I don't I don't know if we should take any any regard to that comment. But maybe Scott was reading. Something I guess that was the only comment. I was only making a joke about how Olivia Wilde only only works with really young actors and actresses. Yeah. Uh, but that's <laughs> so we can maybe put that aside. Uh, I think, honestly, Scott, if I had to just throw like throw money or bet on an idea i just think that shia labeouf's not interested in returning to work until coronavirus is cleared up right like honestly i think that's probably what the most likely scenario right i don't think he's doing other projects that would take him away from this i could be wrong about that but i just think that maybe he's being a little bit more cautious not unlike i think several other people uh that we've heard about who are just dropping out of out of films um i wouldn't say left and right but being a little bit more cautious about when they decide to return to work and i don't blame them for that but yeah harry Styles certainly an interesting choice i'm a little bit surprised i mean you go for something with the like exactly what you were saying the pedigree of someone like shia labeouf who sure he's received his fair share of criticism over the years but i think with the year of the likes that he had last year between yeah he's having a comeback right now he's having a moment he would make sense in a movie like this i think Definitely. I mean, between Honey Boy last year and the Peanut Butter Falcon, I think he's back in the good graces of, you know, critical success and, and strong performances. Not that he hadn't had a couple good performances in previous years, but I think he was just, I mean, his reputation and honestly, his mental health as well. If you watch Honey Boy, I was just so tarnished by his his early, we'll put in quotation marks, success uh, in Hollywood and, and what that drove him to and catapulted him to maybe prematurely in his life and the failure that then kind of ensued from that. I think uh, this film and this choice of casting and this type of movie with this type of director, I think makes a lot of sense. And the fact that he's dropped out of that, I think it, it had to have been a pretty good reason to drop out for me because I think this really fits the mold of what he might be looking for right now. But Harry Styles as a replacement is interesting. Yeah. I'm intrigued to see what he did. I thought he did a good job in Dunkirk, but look, when you're in a Chris Nolan movie in a supporting role, you're not the star. You know, the spotlight's not on you. Uh, the star of every Chris Nolan movie is Chris Nolan. Let's uh, just go absolutely. ahead and put that out no, there. Yeah, yeah. No. I, I'm not shy about saying that about my favorite director. I go see Chris Nolan movies for Christopher Nolan, not yeah. for anybody else, even though uh, oftentimes there are plenty of good actors and actresses for me to view sure. along the way. Uh, but yeah, look, he, he hasn't done anything of significance yet uh, in which the spotlight has really been on him, except for the concert <laughs> films, I guess. But uh, it's a different element, I think, with Olivia Wilde's film here. And I hope that he performs well because he's going to have a high bar given the cast that's around him. Yeah, I mean, look, because this is because of the people linked to this film, because it's Olivia Wilde, like I, I trust that this is not just like a a publicity play, right. To like, just throw some, yeah. you know, this actor in there who people think is a heartthrob just so they can get sort of the teen girl audience or something like that. I, I don't think that they would do yeah. this unless they thought that the guy had actual chops. It would be really strange. I mean, although we all knew that 
that the only reason that Billy Lord was cast in Booksmart was because she was Carrie Fisher's. Of course. Like, obviously. Obviously. Anyway, moving on from that. Let's not, not, let's not act like nepotism isn't real, though. It's definitely real in other contexts in Hollywood, for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, there's definitely no doubt about that at all. Um, so I guess moving on from that and talking about the other topic here, which originally, Scott, if I was thinking about this, uh, you know, a couple days ago before the second half of this news story came out was just that the Dune trailer was freaking awesome, man. <laughs> the Dune trailer looks hype. I mean, who is not excited after watching that trailer? Who's not excited about, you know, Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin. There are people out there who are not, trust me. Well, they can not watch this film and be fine with it. Yeah. Uh, but I, however, am really looking forward to this film. So the second half of this news story, which I think is the, is the bigger talking point is that, after in the wake of Tenet's first two weekends now, and the film has underperformed, but as the studio has noted, there's no real bar to judge it against, right? Like we don't know what should have been a good target for yeah. Tenet, but a 200 plus million dollar movie, frankly, 30 or $40 million in the first two weekends ain't going to cut it. Like it's just not going to cut it in terms of making your money back. I think that is entirely down to the pandemic, I think this movie would be making boatloads of cash given the spot, like given the genre and inventiveness and, and intrigue of the film. I think this movie would have made million, hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't know if it would have broken the billion barrier, but hundreds of millions of dollars. I think this movie was was destined to make, um, and it didn't do that. It's not even like it's not even made a tenth of that so far. Granted, it could have a very long tail, and that's exactly what Warner Brothers is banking on because they have vacated Wonder Woman 1984 spot in early October, the first weekend in October in exchange for a December Christmas holiday time release, which obviously was Dune's spot, which is also another Warner brothers movie before all this happened. Now, as of right now, Scott, the release date for Dune has not changed, but I think with wonder woman, 1984 moving into that holiday window, I don't think Dune is going to survive it. I could be wrong, but Scott, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I'll be frank. I think this is terrible news. I'm really excited about Dune. And not that I'm not excited about Wonder Woman 1984, but if you asked me which one I was more excited for, Scott, it'd be Dune by a mile. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm with you there. And I'm with you that the trailer looked awesome. And so that's what makes it so disappointing, right? That it's like a gut punch of, hey, look, this movie looks awesome. It's finally going to be coming out. And no, maybe it's not actually going to be coming out. We're going to, you know, they're going to be pushing it back potentially. Um I mean, look, I, I guess I get it from a business perspective. At the same time, I think like, you know, you look at Denis Villeneuve, what he's done at the box office with his other movies. Like, I don't know how realistic maybe what they're projecting for this movie might be to the extent that, you know, they're like, we need to push this back so that it can do better numbers. Like, I'm not going to I'm not saying it's going to do the same numbers in, during COVID as it would if it was pushed back. But I feel like the losses may not be quite as great. Um, for a movie like this, if they put it out in the pandemic, as opposed to something like Wonder Woman, right? Which is a big franchise movie. Um, yeah. Everyone knows the name Wonder Woman. Um, you're gonna, you're, you have a base audience that you're basically going to get with like pretty much every superhero or comic book film that comes out, um, certainly from Marvel or DC. Whereas Dune, I think, is is something more difficult. I mean, look, we thought the, the trailer was awesome. We love Denis Villeneuve, but... The average filmgoer may not even know who Denis Villeneuve is, even if they've seen some of his films before. Um, and so uh, I think... Only the greatest director of the 2010s, but it's fine. Yeah, maybe. Um, but no, I, I think that... Um, I think that this trailer, though, did do the right thing to, like, in order to try to get people excited by literally mm -hmm. making this look like freaking Star Wars, right? Like, this looks like Star Wars when you look at the... Um, yeah. You want to go ahead trailer. and say what your tweet was that you made, that you made after the well, trailer? Well, yeah, no. I, I said, look, I'm so excited for Star Wars Episode Nine. Since we all know there hasn't been an Episode Nine yet, this looks like it's going to be it. But um, love yeah. to see Timothy Chalamet cast as, as a broom boy. But, um, but yeah, the... Like, you know, even down to like the freaking sandworm and everything from Dune looks like, uh, you know, the Sarlacc or whatever from from Star Wars. But um, yeah, I feel like 300 I, times bigger. I guess it's not fair to say I don't exactly know when Dune the novel came out, but I think it was before Star yeah, Wars right. did. Um, do oh, I? I thought Dune. I thought Dune came out in the 80s. I'll look it up. Keep going. You might be right. I don't know. But well, no, because David Lynch's movie was like 1982. But um, maybe that's what I'm thinking of then. Yeah. But I think the novel came out before Star Wars, so it's you know there's 1965. Thing, like 
comparing it to Star Wars. Yeah, there you go. Um, but anyway, uh, my point is, I think they did a good job with this trailer of making it look like an action epic, which like I'm not totally sure that it is going to be knowing Villeneuve's history. Right. Like I, I think I'd be surprised if it wasn't a lot more cerebral than the trailers make it look. Um yeah, but they're doing what they have to maybe to get that audience, whether they will get that audience. I don't know. I just think there's more of a question mark around it, certainly than something like Wonder Woman. So I almost wish they would be a little more patient with this one and maybe even let it stick in that Christmas window. Look, I think they're crazy. They'll release this movie in the Christmas window if, if they're going to have Wonder Woman 1984 sit in the Christmas window, because no one will go see Dune Scott. Like, honestly, like everyone will go see Wonder Woman. Um I mean, obviously, I'm being hyperbolic there, but I do think that it will see significant losses. I don't disagree with you because, I mean, obviously, the studios uh, anticipate, I guess it was paramount for for Blade Runner, but the, the expectations for Blade Runner 2049 were just like so much higher yeah. than than what the return was, even though I thought that film was great. I think it was one of the best films of 2017. Um, but overall, like that, that film was a big disappointment for, you know, for Villeneuve's box office returns. Yes, Arrival was a big success. Sicario was also a success. I mean, it made its money back easily um, and did pretty well. I don't know about Prisoners. I haven't looked that far back in terms of uh, box office returns, but I, I think it did pretty well. I could be wrong. But like overall, like seven dollars or whatever. <laughs> yeah, same. Uh, I watched that for six dollars at my local Williamstown uh, indie theater when I was a freshman in college. There you go. There you go. Uh, Images Cinema. I don't know how they're doing these days, but I hope they're still doing okay. Anyway, I, I think overall, right? Like Villeneuve is someone who he's not a director that's going to put and put like a mass audience in seats, right? Like he's not like uh, some someone you'd expect, like a, like a Nolan or a Tarantino or whatever, right? Like he's not that that cult of a like cult following of a director. I mean, I, I certainly love him and he has his followers, but it's not that kind of, not that kind of level to the extent that you'd expect. And, and Dune is not a franchise where you really get that either. And, and I do think that because of that, it, it needs its own space. Like it cannot be crowded by a, a superhero film or it's just going to have its lunch eaten. I think like even no matter like how good the film is, yeah. I do think that it's better off with a lead like Timothy Chalamet compared to Ryan Gosling and Blade Runner. Cause like, I mean, I, I could be wrong here, but I just think like the energy around a Timothy Chalamet versus a Ryan Gosling is very different and also appeals to like a very different type of audience. Although maybe I'm out of touch there. I'm not sure, but I just think more people are excited to go see a Timothy Chalamet movie than a Ryan Gosling movie, to be honest. Um, They're both heartthrobs probably for different demographics for sure, but <laughs> that's fair. But for those, you know, heartthrobs who are after Ryan Gosling, like, well, it's like Josh Brolin, uh, Oscar Isaac, like Jason Momo, like someone in the cast is going to get you into the theater if Ryan Gosling. Get Rebecca you into the Ferguson, yeah. if it's me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is it? Uh, what's the name from Rose the Hat? She's just reprising that character. I right? like just, an, just a sequel, a, a, a much later sequel to uh, Doctor Strange. This is actually in the Shining universe. Uh, little did anyone know. Doctor Sleep, I believe is what. Yeah, I said Doctor Strange, right? <laughs> oh, whoops. Uh, cool, we're off on a great start here. Uh, yeah, no, look, I'm really excited about this film, Scott. I will say the one positive that I could take away from this film, besides, I do think it would. I mean, if Wonder Woman sitting in the holiday window, it's not going to do well in theaters. But one other positive besides potential box office returns that I think that we could experience from having this movie move to summer, or I mean, I don't think they would move it all the way to holiday next year but like the summer next year is that we could do a villeneuve countdown and that's all i care about about doing this fair i mean it's only a few movies it would be that'd be a nice change from our past couple yeah, it, which have been you know quite a few movies so. yeah i mean like almost all of them have been nine or ten movies and this one probably be what six or seven so it'd be a little bit shorter yeah anyway he does have a lot of like foreign films so we'd have to have the question of like do we go back and watch like three or four the French, all the, all the French, yeah, the, that I the think French he, language movies he made before, like Prisoners? There's On Sundays, which I've heard of, but I don't know about any. There's some, even some other ones than that, I think. I hope we have to have that conversation, Scott, because that would mean I get to rewatch some of my favorite movies from the 2010s. Yeah. All right. I think that should do it. Anything else you'd like to add before we wrap this episode up, Scott? Uh, Neff Campbell's coming back for Scream 5. Also, watch the freaky trailer. As good as the Dune trailer was, the freaky trailer was right up there for my favorite of the week. Scott likes Christopher Landon. I like fun horror movies. Who doesn't? Honestly, Scott, I like fun horror movies, too. Yeah. I think that should do it for episode 108 of Some Like It's Scott, though. So do you have uh, a place where people can find you on the interwebs, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you'd like? 
Yes, at Scarby Dent on uh, wherever your social media is. Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. Follow me. Awesome. And I can be found at Shelton2013 on Twitter, on Letterboxd. I think I'm at Shelton2017 on Instagram, but... I don't ever post there, so don't bother following me there. It's fine. Uh, follow please his follow his dog's account instead. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Charlie's account is much more popular and much more active than mine. Please follow our podcast on Twitter, however. I don't even know why I keep saying that. Honestly, we don't even post on the podcast that's Twitter anymore. <laughs> no, it's fine. Like We're all busy. You're doing the newsletter now, too, so it's not like we have any time for this. But please do subscribe to our newsletter because that is something that Scott is actually putting a lot of time into, unlike our Twitter account. Uh, and you can subscribe to the newsletter from the link in the episode notes if you haven't done that already. Don't forget to check out our podcast Patreon page, too. That's at uh, www.patreon.com slash MediaPlugPods. Uh, our Patreon has a bunch of reward tiers. You can check them out and choose to support us over on there if you can. And uh, we'd really appreciate that. Again, www.patreon.com slash MediaPlugPods. If you choose not to support us over on Patreon or you're not able to, that's totally fine. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcast, where we'd appreciate if you rated and reviewed as well as subscribed and shared so that we can continue to reach a broader audience all right i've said enough we really appreciate all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to us talk about movies and we'll be back next week with a brand new episode where we'll be reviewing another september netflix release this time it is the devil all the time until then for scott harvey i'm scott shelton we'll see you next time